listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. One, if you were not here last week, we mentioned the rollout of our brand new website and app for your smartphone. So, if you haven't been to BethelBible.com lately, go there. It looks totally different. It's a, I don't know what geeks call it, but it's like does something that is better than the other one. That's all I know. And uh, you can go to your app store and look up Bethel Bible, and you can download that app, and it's got our calendar. It's got the podcast. It's got a lot of information uh, on that. Also, number two, uh, the 20th, which is, Going to be next Saturday, if you don't have anything to do, or if you do, you could cancel it, and join us at the South Campus for what we call Verses. And this is a once a night a month, one night a month, we gather at the South Campus, and, uh, and it is simply a night of, uh, for about an hour of music and scripture. And it's a great opportunity to go and be a part of that at the South Campus. Third thing... Um, our youth are going to be moving locations for our midweek. Um, the youth have been meeting at our house, and man, it has been great watching that group grow, get closer together. Um, but uh, Dr. Charlie and Amy Crum are going to be opening up their home to us starting in March. And they live right out the lake. It's not too far from here at all. Uh, we're going to change the time a little bit. We were meeting from 6.30 to 8. We're going to back that up 30 minutes to give a little bit more time for some activities and games because they've got a great uh, playroom with pool table and air hockey and things like that. Um, so from 6 to about 6.30, we will enjoy just hanging out. 6.30 to 7, we'll eat, and then Bible study from 7 to 8. Um, and if the transportation is a, a problem, um, we're going to work on something to maybe meet here and then we can carpool out there if that's going to help. But we'll send some information home this week. Um, last thing, uh, we get this question about once a month. And so uh, about every so often, every three or four weeks, we just want to mention this so that everybody's in the know. Um, about once a month, I even get the question, man, we love the church and we want to be a part of this and um, we believe in tithing. And so how do you do that? And here at Bethel, we don't put a lot of pressure on that. You don't see a plate being passed around. Um, so there's really two main ways on your way out this door on your left. There's a, a wooden box, and you can simply give uh, if you like to write the check or to give cash that way, or you can give online through our website. And so those are just two main ways that you can be a part of supporting and giving um, to Bethel Bible Church. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're continuing our series called Exiles, and we're going to look today at verses 9 through 12, and last week, Ross challenged our individualism. We can become so consumed with building and guarding our own little kingdoms, and Peter called that malice. Malice is this, malice is a view that that everybody is against and everybody's out to take away my happiness. And so when my own kingdom and my own happiness is threatened, what will happen is Peter shows us that we'll turn to deceit and hypocrisy and envy and even slander. 
to protect what is mine. But when God came into our world, He redirects our thinking and our priorities, and we are no longer to live for our kingdom, but for His. And what God wants to do is not to focus on our individualism, but He wants us uh, to see that He is taking each and every believer, all believers together, and He's building a magnificent house. He calls this a spiritual house that is made up of all believers. And this spiritual house is meant to be a living sacrifice and that this brick over here looks very different from this one and this brick's a different size than this one and this brick forms a different function than this one. But when they're all put together, it makes this beautiful house that is meant to be a living sacrifice and that we are meant to be a people that give our lives away. And so this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, beginning at verse 9 through 12. You know, this spiritual house, you could refer to this as the church. And I believe the church faces many, many problems uh, and challenges today. We face challenges as individuals, but we also collectively, as the bride of Christ, we face a lot of problems. And I wondered if I was to ask you what... Do you think it's the biggest problem or challenge that the church faces today? What might our list be? And we might have come up with maybe the rise of atheism. That is a life that says that I'm in charge and I'm really my own God. Or you might say, I believe the greatest challenge the church faces is materialism. And that says, it's a life that says it's all about The physical, it's all about things and experiences, and the one with the most at the end wins. Or maybe immorality, and that's a life that says, listen, everything is okay. Just enjoy your life how you want to enjoy it. But I believe the greatest problem that the church faces, individuals and as a church as a whole, is not what is outside, but it's actually something that happens inside of us. I believe the greatest challenge that the spiritual house, the church that God faces, is that we can lose sight of who we are. The greatest challenge, I believe, is that when we lose our identity, Paul Tripp calls this identity amnesia. You see, you and I, we face many pressures of life. We face the pressures of a fallen world, pressures of family, pressures of education, careers, friendships. Pressures of keeping us busy, they're keeping us tired, the pressures of expectations. And the result of all these pressures is it can cause us to forget who we really are. But it's not just that we forget who we are. We're we're really good at what I like to call creating replacements. And that if I forget and I lose sight of my true identity in Christ, is what will happen is I'll find my identity in something else. It's amazing how God does something when you're working on a thought and he causes you to pick up a a magazine that normally you wouldn't and there's an article. And this week I read a very disturbing story of a little boy named Justin. The true story that came out in 1995, but in 2007 it became well known when a guy named Bruce Perry, who was a psychiatrist, was treating little Justin. In fact, he even went on to read a book about it. See, Justin was born to a 15-year-old girl that left him in the care of her mother. Problem was that 
Her mother was loving and caring, but she was morbidly obese. And when Justin was 11 months old, she became ill, and then she passed away. So this left Justin to be cared for by her live-in, by the grandmother's live-in boyfriend named Arthur. Justin's behavior became difficult because of the result of losing his mother and his grandmother in just a short time. It's said that Arthur, still grieving himself, did not know what to do with a crying and tantruming young child. Arthur wasn't malicious, but he was ignorant about what to do with the needs of a young child. In fact, Arthur had made a living as a dog breeder. And sadly, he applied that knowledge to the care of a baby. He began keeping Justin in a dog cage, a kennel. He made sure that the baby was fed and changed, but he rarely spoke to him, rarely played with him, or did any other normal things a parent would do to nurture their child. So for five years, Justin lived in this cage, spending most of his days only with dogs as his companions. And when Dr. Perry met Justin in a hospital, this young six-year-old boy, he had really taken on the identity of a dog. At six years old, he could not walk only on all fours. He could not speak. He only grunted and made barking noises. In fact, he exhibited many behaviors of a frightened dog. The good news is that through years of therapy, Justin made incredible progress. But here's the point. If we forget who we are, we will begin to allow our surroundings to define our identity. And if we don't get our identity vertically from God the way He designed it, then you will get it horizontally by those and the things around you. So here's what Peter is going to do today. Peter is going to show us, because of who we are, because of our identity in Christ, we are to act like an alien. No, that sounds strange. We're to fight like a warrior, and we're to live like a representative. So this morning, let's look at verses 9 through 10, that he is going to show us that he's going to begin with who we are from God's point of view. He's going to show us who we are according to God's view. Now, I wondered if you've ever thought, I wonder what God thinks of me. Then listen to these words this morning, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, today is... Valentine's Day, and if you've ever read the history of Valentine's Day, it's really very interesting. But modernly, it's a time that people express how they feel about someone. Valentine's Day is an opportunity for us to tell someone how we see them or what they mean to us. And so today, very fitting that this is a lot like God's Valentine's Day card to us. When God looks at His people... When he looks at you as a believer, he sees you as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, people who now know what mercy is. And that is how God Almighty sees you. Not only is that how God sees you, that is your identity. So let's break it down. First of all, he says you're a chosen race. And what happens is Peter makes a radical claim. Peter's going to show that those who are believers in Jesus Christ, that they've seen their sin, they've seen who God is, and the only way that I get to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That whether you're Jew or Greek or Roman or Gentile or, or Bithynian, he's saying that all of you, although you are many races, you now actually make one new race. You know, in church history, what was happening is Christians were forming a new race according to the gospel. And what was happening is that this is why people were often persecuted and, and why they were criticized is that what was happening is all of a sudden these people were meeting this man named Jesus and then <coughs> everything was changing about them. They began to talk different. They began to act different. Their business interactions were different. They began living their lives in a way that people noticed that they were living like they once were not. And it says things like this. They were beginning to associate with people that were different from them. They began treating people with dignity and honor who were in lower classes. <clears throat> they showed respect to those who had authority over them. And they even would not talk about the ones behind their back who had power over them. And people were noticing that this group of identified believers that they began to call those Christians were living differently. And so when you are born again and you believe in the Son of God, Jesus, you join a new race, he says. It isn't based on your skin color or your place of origin. You are different and everyone who believes is different with you. One of my favorite passages has to be a promise that we see in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Where it says that there is coming a day when the angel looked out and it says there were so many they could not be numbered. They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, any language. All before the throne of God. And Peter once again says he is breaking down these walls of individualism and he's showing that we together are a new race. So first of all, he says you find your identity from the great creator, the sovereign God, the king of kings and the Lord of, Lord of lords who has chosen to place his eternal love on you. And he says you're a chosen race. And then he says number two, you see it there, royal priesthood. You know, a priest was one that had access to, to God. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see Moses who went up on the mountain and the people couldn't even touch the mountain. And he went up and represented them. We see Aaron and his descendants that they were the ones that would go into the Holy of Holies and they would make the sacrifices on behalf of the people. So a priest's number one duty was to make sacrifices. A priest lived a very sacrificial life. They were the ones that dedicated their lives to serving God and others. And a remarkable thing happens when Jesus Christ died on the cross. One of the images that we have is that that veil that separated that holy of holies was torn in two to represent that now all believers have access to God. 
And Peter says that we, like those priests back then, are to live sacrificial lives. We are to offer up all that we have for his purposes. That means your time in school, in college, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, and in your jobs is to be offered up to God for his purposes. So not only are we a chosen race, it says we're a royal priesthood. And then he says a holy nation. What could he mean by a holy nation? And he's not referring to the United States at this point. What he's thinking back to is that Israel, they were to be a nation that lived very differently. And when people looked at Israel, they would say, where's all your gods? And they were to live lives that said, we have only one God. His name is Yahweh. And we worship him above all else. There is only one God. And they were to live differently than all the other nations. They were to be an example and were to display God's glory to all those around them. So Peter is saying that we belong to God and have identity that is deeper than race, deeper than gender and language and ethnicity, deeper than our political preferences, deeper than our culture, different than our social class. We are no longer divided by the normal things that separate people because we have a new collective identity and we are to reflect the character of God to all those around us. And then the next one. So he says, what's he say? A a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and then a people for his own possession. Now church, listen. God did not come to give you your life back. He came to give you a new life. Meaning Christ did not came did not come to give you a makeover. He actually came to take over your life. Gerald Ford says it this way, mistakenly the gospel is preached as though it were a repair job on old beings or a new patch on an old garment. When in fact, when God reached down into humanity, down into the world, He calls you to Himself so that He can then take control of your life. And that is a glorious thing, that our identity is one that God has reached His arms of grace and wrapped them around you. And over and over, He says, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. So when you think about God who says that you're a people for his own possession, hear him say this. You know what? You may never experience human success, but he says you are mine. You may be living in a broken body that restricts you and holds you back, but you are mine. You may be living in troubles brought on by a fallen world, but God says you are mine. You may not be even surrounded by friends who totally accept you, but God says you are mine. You may not have a wall of accomplishments like all others around you, but you are mine, God says. You may have battles that rage on in your head, and you can't find a moment of peace, but you are mine. Your children may not like be all the others, but you are mine. Your life may look differently than you had hoped, but you are mine. He says that he has taken us as his own possession. He says, I have taken you as my own. I love you. You are mine. And I imagine at this point, Peter is overwhelmed 
as he writes about our identity in Christ. Because he says, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you are a people of my own possession. God says, you are mine. And then Peter says, but now look at what you do. You are to proclaim his excellencies, our identity. We are now to shout of God's goodness. Our identity says that we were once in darkness. And look at your passage in verse 10. He says, but you've been called out into light. Your identity is that you were once not a people, but now you are a people. Our identity is that we did not know mercy, but now we do. What Peter is saying is that everyone has a story. Every one of us has a story that says there's a loving redeemer that called me out of darkness into light. There is one that loved me, that came and showed me mercy when I knew no mercy. There is a sovereign Lord that came and made me a people when I was not a people. And every one of us have that story. But I've wondered this week, am I allowing my story to be heard? I love that example that we get in the Gospels of that blind man that received his sight. He was a, just known as the beggar at the temple. And everybody began wondering what had happened and they began questioning uh, what made him blind in the first place. And as you read through that, that example, all that blind man, he keeps saying, listen, I don't know what happened, but I was blind and now I see. Man, they were questioning him. They even asked his parents, is this the one they said, man, we don't know if that's our son or not. He, he kept saying over and over and over again, I was blind, but now I see. He was allowing his story to be heard. So now let's look at the last two verses of verses 11 and 12. And what Peter is doing, he's reassuring his, his readers of their identity. And he does this over and over and over again. Peter wants to make sure that we know, that his readers know who they are. And he's going to say, because of your identity, because of who you are in Christ, he's now going to say, act like an alien, fight like a warrior, and live as a representative. Because he's going to show us how we proclaim his excellencies. And notice, it's not ours, it's his. Look at verse 11. Behold, he says, beloved, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh to wage war, that wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now look at that first word. He says, Beloved. Beloved means that the same love and affection that God the Father has for Jesus, He has for you. He's once again beginning with our identity, and Peter gives up now the first of three challenges. First of all, he says, act as an alien. He says, calls them sojourners or exiles. And how many times have we seen Peter talking about this, reminding them that our true home is not this world, but with God. That we are to constantly remind ourselves and each other around us that there is such thing as forever and that we are marching toward that destiny. That this is not our final home. So what does it mean to act as an alien? Well, maybe we could ask ourselves, what is the goal of your living? What was your goal last week? 
Or you might could say, what happened that you could look back and say, that was a good day? Everything that we should do, everything that we're about, should be with heaven and eternity in mind. The way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we conduct ourselves in our jobs, the way we parent, the way we interact with our families. Everything that we do should be because of who we are in Christ. And he says, everything about you, you should be acting as an alien, someone that knows that this world is not your home. And then he says, fight like a warrior. He says there, abstain from the passions of the flesh. And abstaining here has two meanings. Abstaining has one meaning that says you are to hold yourself back. And you know what this is like. This is that point when that child does something and you just, you know, because you know it's about to get ugly. But, man, you are holding yourself back. And, and, and that's one of the, the, the phrases that he has in mind here is to hold ourself back from something that is about to happen. But another way is like this. So you abstain, you hold yourself back. The other one is to give someone the stiff arm. See, football guys, you know, it's the, it's the mm, you know, it's that, it's that, that pose with the Heisman Trophy. When something comes up, mm, you just stiff arm. So there's holding yourself back, and there's uh. And this is what he's saying. Look at what he says. He says, fight like a warrior. Abstain from the passions of your flesh. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, there are certain things that we face in life, and there could be things that people would say, well, you know, this is just the way that God made me. Therefore, this isn't a sin. But no, there are certain things that God has laid out that are absolutely against his law, against his character. And we are to, even if we feel, we are to hold ourselves back from those things. But we should realize, too, that there are times that we have got to stiff arm certain things that come into our life. But for the Christian... The power of sin has been broken. The power of sin has been broken over each and every believer. But we still, in the presence of the sin, still remains. And there is a battle that is going on. I love how Martin Luther says it. He says, when I was baptized, when I went into those waters, man, the old Adam had drowned in the water of baptism. That's what I thought. I thought when I was baptized that that old man was drowned in those waters. But he said, I discovered that miserable wretch can swim. There's always a battle going on. And we are to fight as warriors. That you proclaim the excellencies of God when you act like an alien and you fight like a warrior. So evil desires, they're all around us. You cannot escape them. Desires for things that are clearly outside God's will for us, things that God forbids, you cannot outrun them. You cannot hide. The temptation to lie about something at work to gain favor or to protect yourself. Temptation to present yourself as something that you're not. Temptation to look at another woman and allow yourself to consider things that you know you should not be considering. The temptation to consume more than you know that you should. Temptation to gossip to a friend about someone. Temptation to come at your children with rage and anger. There's not a place in your life 
that you will not be faced with these. Happens in the mall, happens in your vehicles, it happens in your family rooms, in your bedrooms, on the internet, and even in your place of business. So what what does it look like to abstain from evil desires? Peter is saying that there are crucial places in your lives where we need to stop and we need to say, in the power of the risen Lord Jesus, no, I will not go there. And that's when you go, hmm. It's like this. I thought, okay, husband or wife, when you're tempted to do whatever it is necessary to win that argument, what do you do? Hmm. And what we do, we say, because of who I am in Christ, I will not go there. When you're tempted to cover up a mistake instead of owning up to it, you know what you do? Mm. Because of who I am in Christ, no, I will not go there. When there's something on TV that you know will not nurture your soul and take your mind to places it should not go, you stop. You say, no, because of who I am in Christ, no, I will not go there. When you're tempted to talk about another person, we need to stop and say, because of who I am in Christ, no, I will not go there. You know, as a Christian, you will, the good news is that you will never lose your place in heaven. You can't do it. God holds you so securely, you cannot lose that because it's not based on you and your willpower or your determination. But you can lose the struggle for spiritual maturity here on earth. And that is what is at stake. So he says, fight like a warrior. And then the third thing he says is to live as a representative. In fact, he says to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Meaning people are always watching us. Peter says to live holy lives, to abstain from uh, sinful desires, not only for your own spiritual well-being, but in order to maintain an effective testimony for all those around you. Now, I've always tried to remind myself, as a pastor, as a dad, as an employee, as a husband, you know what the best gift you could ever give anyone? The best gift you could give your spouse, the best gift you could give your children, the best gift you could give your employees or your boss, the best gift you could ever give anyone is your personal holiness. Keeping yourself holy is the best gift you could ever give someone. Peter says to live your life in a way that people notice this, that you reflect the beauty of God to the world around you. And he says, listen, there's even a greater benefit to you. He says, live your life in a way that if someone was to ever accuse you of something, there will be no room to stand on because they go, no, that cannot be true. Of that person. So this morning, this is what Peter says. Because of who you are in Christ, because of your identity, act as an alien, fight as a warrior, and live as a representative. Now, as I think of that phrase, I want to make sure we don't do something. We want to always be careful of this. We want to be careful that we don't make this about us. Because in reality, it should cause us to look to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and not us. And this is what I mean by that. We are to act as an alien, fight as a warrior, and live as a representative. When in fact, Jesus is the only one that can be the ultimate alien, the ultimate warrior, 
and the ultimate representative of God. Because Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I've come to do one thing. I've come to do my Father's will. So Jesus did not come just to be an example. He came to be your substitute. Because in truth, you will never be able to stand before God and say, you know what, God? In every way, I lived as an alien. Or in every situation, I was a great warrior. In every way, I've been a perfect representative. Because you know what? The truth is, you will fail. But because of our identity in Christ, the same acceptance and love and affection that God the Father has for Jesus, He has for you. And I've always pictured it this way, that, man, I, I, I want to live as an alien. I want to fight like a warrior, and I want to live as a representative. But one day I will stand before God and I'm going to stand before him one day and I know there will be nothing worthy of me that would ever allow him to accept me. So when he looks at me, all I get to do is say, but God, I'm with, I'm with him. I'm with him and listen, he lived the perfect life that I could never live. He is the one that did everything on my behalf. And because you accepted him, you have promised that you will accept me. And the same love and affection that God the Father has for Jesus, he will then have for me. So, beloved, this morning, look to Christ for your identity. And this morning, hear God say, Happy Valentine's Day. You are mine. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for being gracious to us. Father, thank you for being with my voice. As powerful as this passion, this, this, this passage is, there's no way I could convey it with as much passion and as attention as it needs. Father, this morning in my weakness, I'm going to need to rely on your spirit, and I should do that every week to do that in all of us, that we would hear from you, that we have heard from you say that you, that we are yours. And because we are yours, we want to proclaim those excellencies of who you are and not our own. And we want to live as aliens. We want to act as warriors and to live as representatives because of who we are in you. As Father, this morning we want to thank you. We want to thank you that we can know that we belong to you. This morning we thank you. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for leading us in a time of worship, of reflection, of being together as your church. And as we depart from this place, may you remind us of these truths each and every day of our lives, that we are to live as aliens, that there is a day coming when we will finally be home, and that every day we are faced with temptations, and that we need to fight as warriors and to stop and to say no because of who we are in your Son, we will say no. And then help us to live as representatives. Help us to live as those representatives of you, that we would reflect your glory to all those around us. So it's in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.